0: How very much I've loved you. How very much I've tried my best to give you the good life. This Week in Crime. Hey strangers, welcome to another This Week in Crime. So, This Week in Crime is where I bring you strange, weird, or just downright fucked up news articles from around the world or right here in good america and i have a few batch but first i have to give a big thank you to Ad @rocky the collector because he's the one that really just provides all the articles for me so if you stumble across a news article that you so it doesn't even have to be weird or strange but if you just want it to be read and you want it to be spread and just bring awareness more to the topic of whatever is pertaining to the specific article that you want to send me you can send me news articles at strange Talk podcast at Outlook.com. That's my email. Or if you follow me on Instagram at talk Podcast, you can send it through DM. I enjoy reading all the articles that I receive and get. So thank you to at Rocket the Collector for sending me that news article. But before I get into this week in crime, if you listen to the previous episode, okay, that I had of which was snuff um, that I did with at Rocky the Collector, who has his own podcast, if you haven't checked it out yet, it's called The Collection, so just, you know, go check it out, say like, hey, Strange Talk sent me here, I like it, it and, you know, it's cool, and, um, yeah, uh, but, um, you probably heard the story that I told about the first time I ever I actually witnessed a, a death, I guess you can say, um, I was in elementary school. Like I said, I'm not going to go back into the whole story again, but I happened to find the information about that because I was curious about like what actually happened because I didn't actually learn all the information. I just kind of assumed over the years that the reason behind why the man killed himself live on TV, but I have the actual news article that I found from back in 1998 is when this happened. So I was really a lad in 1998 sitting on my couch watching this man blow his fucking brains out um yeah so you know you know what's funny is um i'm not gonna lie i was a little bitch i cried i didn't cry seeing the man died i cried when the dog died because again he had molotov cocktails in his truck i'm assuming he was gonna kill himself by just lighting himself on fire but he his car engulfed in flames and his dog was in it his dog didn't even try to get out maybe he did i don't know uh, I don't really remember. Um, all I know is that the dog died in the fire. But here's the story that I have about that. Again, if if you don't... Again, if you if you don't... Um... I'm sorry, I got a text message from my fiance. I forgot to put my phone on vibrate. But again, if you don't um, know exactly what I'm talking about and you haven't heard the episode snuff, there is a point, I don't know exactly when in the episode, but there is a point at which... I told a story about where um, back in 1998, apparently is when this happened, but it happened when I was in elementary school. Still, I was watching TV, and um, we weren't, you know, pretty well off. We weren't. We didn't really have a lot of money at the time, um, but we only had one TV, so we all had to share it. Usually, I'm not going to lie. I was a spoiled little brat, so I would get the TV most of the time because I wanted to watch cartoons. Um, but yeah, uh, my mom decided that she wanted to put on the news uh, because. Uh, that's just her thing. She's like watching the news. And I guess that's kind of where my true crime fascination came from was just always watching the news with her. Um, so she put on the news and there was a man, there was a chase happening. And there was a man who uh, was on the freeway. I don't remember exactly what freeway, but I'm sure they'll mention it in the news article that I found of it. But he pulls a shotgun out after trying to engulf himself in flames by a Molotov cocktail. His dog's in the car. His dog obviously dies in the flames, in the fire. And he gets out, he pulls the shotgun out, pulls the tarp out that says something about HMOs, pulls the shotgun up to his head, puts it alongside the, the divider on the, free, on the freeway, and then he proceeds to blow his fucking brains out. Live on TV, did not not cut away, And which is interesting that they showed it, and you knew it was going to happen. And it's interesting that they showed it because most televised um, news reports are on a 30-second delay timer, so they see the footage as it's happening 30 seconds ahead of us. Okay, and then they delay it when it's being presented on TV, just in case they do see like a graphic image or they see um, a live on air death. Um, but some, I guess, somebody fell asleep at the wheel. I don't know, and they didn't. They they showed the man killing himself. But here's all the information about that when that happened. I found this article from the Los Angeles Times, and this was published on May first, nineteen ninety eight, when this actually occurred. In one of the most graphic and bizarre events ever to unfold on a Los Angeles freeway, a man with a gripe against HMOs parked his pickup truck on a busy freeway intersection on Thursday afternoon and set it ablaze and then committed suicide on live television, creating a nightmarish, miles-long traffic jam during the evening commute. The incident at first appeared to be yet another of Southern California's now prosaic freeway chases. But as the situation developed, It soon became apparent that this was anomalous, quintessentially Los Angeles story because so many desperate elements of life here had suddenly collased collased on that smoking freeway overpass. The story had guns, traffic jams, cellular phones, swarms of news helicopters, desperate self-promotion, and a sudden, tragic cinematic conclusion, and all of it caught on live television. Authorities suspect that the man at the center of this maelstrom was Daniel V. Jones, a 40-year-old man who was a maintenance worker at the Renaissance Hotel in Long Beach, California. And Jones' neighbors who witnessed the incident on television confirmed that it was indeed him. Jones lived in a tiny two-bedroom bungalow off an alleyway in Long Beach. The woodhouse is culstered behind a tall wooden fence with a sign on the gate that reads, Beware of Dog. A dog accompanied him on his final jury and perished when the truck caught fire. It was a very sad moment. Press F. Um, press F, boys, for the, to pay respects. Long Beach police, who entered the home looking for leads on any next of kin and clues as to how he came to this violent end, said the house was a typical bachelor's home adequately furnished but cluttered. Although Jones was obviously agitated about HMOs shortly before his death, his Long Beach neighbors and fellow workers were not even aware that he had any health problems at all. But one friend who asked not to be identified said that Jones confided in him that three weeks ago he found a flesh-colored growth on his neck that continued to grow. He told his friend that doctors were unsure of its cause at first, but within the last week confirmed that it was cancer. The friend also said that Jones thought he was getting the runaround from his health insurer. Jones' sister, Janet Jones, 38 at the time of this writing, told Associated Press that it was only at the time of the suicide that Jones' best friend told her Jones was HIV positive. Joe Chim H. Ordemeyer, general manager of the Renaissance Long Beach Hotel, where Jones had been employed for about three years, said, Everyone at the hotel has health insurance but it was not known which of several available plans the maintenance worker had been using. The incident began at 3 p.m. when the man parked his dark gray pickup on the transition loop from the Harbor Freeway to the Century Freeway. Frantic motorists called authorities after the man, whose dog was sitting beside him, pointed his shotgun at passing cars. Authorities then closed the two freeways, creating a mammoth traffic tie-up and an eerily empty swath of lanes. Jones, who was parked in the carpool lane, pulled out a cellular phone and dialed 911 and reached a California Highway Patrol dispatcher and indicated that he was emotionally distraught, said LAPD Lieutenant Hans Ruth. He was just rambling, Ruth said. He mentioned he was unhappy about HMOs. During the call, he fired several rounds, one of them through the roof of his pickup truck. Jones remained in his truck as police helicopters monitored his movements and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Special Weapons Team began to assemble. He pulled from a knapsack and displayed what appeared to be some clothing and a videotape before throwing it all over the freeway wall. He then calmly walked out onto the empty freeway and unfurled a large square banner with white hand lettering that read, HMOs are in it for the money. Live free, love safe, or die. And I remember seeing that on live television when he brought that banner out. Although you couldn't really make it out too much. They zoomed in, but as a kid, I didn't really know what the fuck he was talking about. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm interested in watching it. Although unbeknownst to me, what was going to happen (laughs) later? (laughs) Poor fucking dog. It was a golden retriever too, if I'm not mistaken. Anyways, back to the story. He made a few obscene gestures before nonchalantly returning to his truck, occasionally petting his dog and sipping from a can. SWAT team negotiators were about to try to persuade him to give up when a violent graphic series of events quickly unfolded ending in a startling suicide. Jones had several Molotov cocktails in the cab of his truck and he suddenly ignited one. His truck burst into flames. He purposely set the fire said LAPD Lieutenant Anthony Elba. Jones ran out of the vehicle. Jones ran out of the vehicle engulfed in a shower of flame and smoke his hair, pants, and socks all on fire. He withered in pain, frantically tried to pat out the flames, and finally managed to peel off his pants, socks, and underwear. He wandered about, naked from the waist, looking dazed and disoriented. He then walked to the edge of the freeway, gesturing angrily. It appears as if he was about to jump. But he backed away from the edge, and moments later, at about 3.50 p.m., retrieved his shotgun from the back of his truck. He then placed the shotgun beneath his chin, pulled the trigger, and crumpled to the ground. Now, the article doesn't necessarily go into the graphic details of what I had witnessed when I watched this live on TV. I don't even remember my mom's reaction. I know my grandma was there. Um, My grandma lived, like, right next door to us. Our backyards were actually connected, so she would come over a lot. And she would watch TV with my mom, obviously. Um, and I know they were both there, and my mom and them were talking all while this was going on. But when he shot himself, the force of the bullet literally, literally ripped the back of his head off. And it popped off almost like as if a toupee in the wind just blew off the top of his head. That's what it looked like. And he immediately just slumped over to the ground and was on his side, almost in a way of like a fetal position. And you can just see p- blood pulling immediately from his skull and just like going down the, fr- the freeway street um but yeah seeing that was a very shocking time but as i said i was more concerned about the dog because the dog never got out of the car the dog was burning alive in the car and i'm not gonna lie i started crying for a little bit and my mom told me like well get out of here if you're gonna cry she's like pretty much saying, stop being a little bitch <laughs> anyways uh police con- um, co- concern there might still be a bomb in the truck or booby traps hesitated to move in. The truck continued to burn with the dog inside, and the man remained splayed out in the middle of the freeway, blood pooling and smoke billowing around him. Police later found the remnants of several Molotov cocktails, a number of shotgun shells, and the charred remains of the dog inside the truck. By the left front door of the truck, police found an exploded five-gallon gas tank and a burned propane tank. The charred roadway was littered with the remnants of Molotov cocktails and shotgun wadding. Ruth said that Jones wanted to make a statement. Basically, he achieved that, is what he said. The 105 and the 110 freeways leading to the interchange remained closed for several hours after the incident, and a seemingly endless line of backed-up cars was being routed onto the surface streets. In the early evening, with rush hour about to reach its peak, Traffic on the southbound Harbor Freeway was backed up at least five miles, about halfway to the Civic Center, the California Department of Transportation reported. CHP officials rerouted north-south traffic onto Figueroa, Maine, and San Pedro streets. About 270,000 vehicles traveled through the intersection each day. An identified, exasperated LAPD sergeant, trying to move cars along Figueroa, yelled out, We've got the whole city at a standstill right now. Both sides of the Century Freeway reopened about 6 p.m., the CHP said. Southbound lanes of the Harbor Freeway reopened about 30 minutes later, and the northbound lane report reopened shortly after 7 p.m. The carpool lane where the charred remains of the Jones truck was still smoldering remained closed to the traffic late into the night. Mental health experts cautioned against explaining the freeway suicide until more was known about the victim's life. The circumstances surrounding the Event: whether he had planned to commit suicide or did so only spon- um, spontaneously, perhaps in response to police action, and whether he had a history of mental illness. But counselors and researchers distinguish between public and private suicides. General- generally, private suicides often reflect depression and isolation, whereas public ones are more likely to be motivated by frustrated anger, said psychologist Norman Fairborough, former co-director of the Los Angeles Suicide Prevention Center. He says, in a case like this, the anger is much more evident in public, and the need to express himself is overriding. Perhaps because he felt there was no other way to get an audience for his grievance, Fairborough said. Jay Nagdeman, a psychologist and a director of the Suicide Prevention Service at D.D. Hirsch Mental Center in Culver City, Declined to speculate on the basic differences between public and private suicides, but he said the victim appeared to be someone who felt no one would listen to him and felt an injustice had been done, and he needed to make an extreme statement. When people feel in, infect, infectual, infectual, ineffectual, my God, when people feel ineffectual and in crisis, they're more likely to go to extremes to express themselves. The tragedy is that if someone could have listened to him. He might not have felt that suicide was the only option, and not necessarily fixed his problem, but simply treated him with respect and really listened. After the incident, police were investigating what brought Jones to this end and why he had unfurled an anti-HMO banner. Jamie Court, spokesman for Consumers for Quality of Care, an advocacy group that has been sharply critical of HMOs, said the suicide could have been a galvanizing event in the debate over how to reform the managed care industry. Congressional Democrats and Republicans have endorsed proposed legislation to reform the managed care industry, and many similar bills are pending in Sacramento at the time of this writing. Because don't forget, this happened back in 1998. If this story turns out to be a tragic and legitimate story about stonewalled care at HMO, it will translate into a new sense of urgency on the political front, Court said. This could spark a national debate about why people are driven to such madness and are at wit's end as they try to get timely care. We see so many HMO patients who feel they have nowhere to turn for help. Employees at several large HMOs in Southern California, home to some of the industry's oldest and biggest companies, also watched the tragedy unfold on office televisions. We're well, still wondering if this guy was one of our members said one HMO spokesperson. Also contributing to this report were Time Staff writers Susan Abraham, Matt Late, John L Mitchell, Terence monomay Joe McZingo, David Olmos, Ted Rolick, Hector Tobar, and Daniel Yi, and Times correspondent Deborah Belgium. So yeah, that was the incident that occurred. That's all the information that I found of it. And that, again, I found that article from the Los Angeles Times. But yeah, being being a kid and seeing that shit, uh, it did kind of, I don't know if it messed me up psychologically. I imagine it had some type of effect. I don't really know um i just i just i mean i'm being honest i did kind of cry a little bit when i saw the dog was burning because you don't actually see the dog burning because immediately when he lit i guess apparently he lit because honestly i just thought like he just tried to blow himself up which obviously he did do but uh apparently he lit the molotov cocktail and that was probably his first way of trying to commit suicide but i guess the heat and the pain from just his flesh probably being seared immediately, <laughs> he probably couldn't take it. So he jumped out of the car and he got out. And like I said, he takes his pants off and you could see his dick flopping around and everything. Um, but the dog stays in the car. Uh, I don't know if the dog tried to get out. I don't remember if he closes the door after he gets out of the car. I don't remember, but I know he is sad about seeing his dog die like that because he looks at the car for a good while and he kind of like puts his, um, he kind of like squats a little bit and puts his hands on his knees and like starts shaking his head. And I don't, you can't hear what he's saying, obviously, because it's from a helicopter's point of view. But he is obviously distraught over the fact that his dog is dying. I don't know if he wanted his dog to die. Maybe he wanted to die with his dog. I don't know. We don't really know what was going through Daniel V. Jones's head. At that time. But yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I kinda cried when I saw the dog die. <laughs> it was fucking sad. The dog's burning alive in there. You don't see the dog flare around or anything, because immediately after the car like explodes, it just gets engulfed in flames immediately because he had propane tanks and all obviously a few of the other Molotov cocktails lit and just causes it to just immediately just burst into flames even more. So it was really sad to see that. But that was what I saw as a little kid that kind of had an effect on me to see a man kill himself live on TV. So that, <laughs> I hate to start this episode off in such a tragic way, but hey, that's what Strange Talk Podcast is about. It's not like I said train talk, but Strange Talk Podcast is all about. Now, before I move on to the articles, I just wanted to get this out. I recently went to go watch the movie It Chapter 2 with my fiance. We went to go see it. Um, I want. I'm gonna. I. I won't say that. The okay. Let me get it out of the way. Spoiler warnings ahead. If you haven't seen the movie, skip for the next probably thirty or seconds, thirty or sixty seconds of this because I'm gonna get speak about heavily about spoilers. So I was one. I was a fan of the first film. I loved the first movie. I felt like it hit all the right notes. It was spooky. It wasn't super like scary, scary because. I'm not trying to say I'm a fucking badass. I mean, I cried when I saw a dog die. But I think anybody would cry if they saw like a dog fucking die like that. Um, but I'm not saying that I'm a fucking badass. Because I'm not one that enjoys like movies like The Conjuring or Annabelle or um, The Nun. I don't like those type of movies. I hate them. I fucking loathe those types of movies. Because I don't like the fact that they rely so heavily on jump scares. I don't like that i don't like movies that i feel like i'm just in a haunted house like interactive like sitting down haunted house not even interactive i'm just sitting down watching a movie that's like a haunted house so i don't like i don't care for movies like that but for some so i honestly i was kind of thinking that's what it the first one was going to be so i went into watching the first it chapter one with it going to be like oh, i'll probably enjoy some of it but i i I won't like it but my god they hit like all the right notes in it chapter one but with the second one it's not that good it's not that bad but it isn't good i felt like they tried to give it like a marvel treatment they focus heavily on comedy rather than focus on horror and the one thing that bothered me so much about this one was that they barely showed pennywise i think he honestly only showed up like about four or five times except for the ending the ending is where you see him Most, But I wanted him to be there throughout. I felt like he should have, like now that they're adults, or maybe, I mean, one could probably debate debate me and say, well, the reason why he probably doesn't scare them a lot as adults is because they are adults. He scares them as children. That's true. I'll give you that one but I feel like that's a little too easy. I feel like because he wanted them so bad, he should have been fucking with them a lot more because even in the TV series, um, being a fan of the TV series as cheesy as it was, I don't know why I liked it. I I really liked it. I thought it was cheesy. It terrified me, but I I thought it was cheesy and I loved it for some reason. I thought it was interesting. Tim Curry just kind of like mesmerized me just the same way as Alex Skarsgård. Um, Alexander Skarsgard, or is it Alex Skarsgard? Whatever, um, the way he he's he does a really good job as Pennywise. Although I really hate the fact that in it, chapter two, they barely showed they barely showed Pennywise in this one. I didn't I didn't really care for that too much. Like I wanted more Pennywise. I I thought they were gonna really go for it. I will say though that it felt like they followed the book a lot more in this one than in the first one. The first one they did change up a few things. Uh, which it's not too much of an issue, but I can see why they didn't follow it because in the book, the guy that, um, in the first, it, that has the little flamethrower, he the hairspray or the can of paint that he's spraying or whatever he's spraying to make the flamethrower, he's actually gay in the book. He's actually gay and he actually has a thing for, um, Richie, although Richie doesn't know. Um and he tries to rape Richie, I believe, in the book, or he does rape Richie, I think. But I I know he does have a thing for Richie. And that's why he's so angry, because he's angry at the self at himself because he can't be comfortable and just come out at being gay. So if you never read the book, that's what's in the book. Um and I believe he even uh the, the guy that does the flamethrower thing even kills like his baby brother, I think, in the book too. Um so he does like a lot more fucked up shit than fucking uh, Bowers, Eddie Bowers. And then another thing with Eddie Bowers, it was like, it felt like it did, it, it wasn't really necessary because he was just like in a few times or anything. Like, I get it. I don't know. I just felt like, they, I, what I feel like is that The Chapter 2 was probably going to be a lot longer. And they're like, fuck, we can't put everything in this film. Because the studio was probably pressuring Andy Muschietti. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but that's the director of the film. Um, they're probably pressuring him like, hey, we, we got to like shorten this. It can't be that long. We can't add all this stuff in. I don't know. But (sighs) I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I just thought, I don't think it was that great. It was not that great. If I was to rate it, I would rate it a 60% out of 100. That's what I rate it. It's still enjoyable. It is. It's still enjoyable for what it has. I just don't think it was that great. And I felt like the beginning scene when they're in the Chinese restaurant I felt like that scene where all the little babies were little weird monster babies coming out of the fortune cookies. I felt like that went on way too long. I felt like it should have like been shortened down because there's like some parts where like, they're all like supposedly staring at the fortune cookies. like, Oh my God, what's going on? Oh my God. I felt like, okay, let's move on now. It feels like it's going on for a little bit too long. <laughs> I thought that part was a little like too long. and could have been shortened. Um, And the fact that they go for like their little totems, I guess, whatever their little like mementos, their tokens, or whatever that they have to take because they're going to do the ritual of Jude or Jud or whatever the fuck it's called, I just didn't like. I just didn't like that. I felt like, what the fuck? Like, I get it that they have to remember, and this is like an excuse for them to remember because now that they're adults and they left dairy, because in the movie it establishes a rule that like if if you leave dairy, you you'll forget everything. Um, but if you stay in dairy, you'll still remember everything or something. So that's why Mike is the only one that remembers everything. But I don't know. I just didn't. I I I just gotta say I was kind of disappointed in the second one. I thought it was gonna be good. I thought it was gonna be like way better and everything. Bill Hader, obviously, he was a good, he was like the best actor out of all of them. He I, I he was enjoyable, although sometimes he was annoying in this film like with his jokes and everything, just as much as Richie was, but maybe that's the point. But I don't know. I just felt like they, they marveled it. Like they, what I'm saying that they marveled it is because Marvel movies, they always have like those cheesy jokes that work sometimes, but for some reason they didn't work in It Chapter 2. I felt like there was way more that should have happened or I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm just having too high of expectations. I just did not enjoy It Chapter 2. I mean, even my fiance fell asleep and she loved the first one. um and then with eddie bowers again after they killed him spoiler again after they killed him it was like that was it there's nothing from that like shouldn't one of them be on the run for murder because they just killed the guy like they never go into it they never explain like oh you know like he would escape from the mental list like yeah we see it as the audience but they don't know that i mean obviously they could put two and two together but nothing's ever said about it again that there's ever shown it would have been better if um to show pennywise again because when Eddie Bowers finds out that Pennywise is coming back to him again, he just sees a red balloon and follows it. And then he sees his um. And then he just sees a red balloon. Um. And then he sees his friend, the guy that did the flamethrower. I forgot his name. He sees him, and then he he comes back and he he doesn't really talk to him, but he kind of just shows him the knife. And like Eddie Bowers is like, all of a sudden, like, oh yeah, I remember now. And then he goes on his mission to kill the fucking kids and shit. Um. But again, like, shouldn't like one of them be wanted for murder? but who knows um i don't know i was just kind of disappointed in this one i i didn't really like it that much at least they didn't do the whole like inhaler battery acid thing that they did from the fucking book and the novels um but i mean it's still enjoyable i just i was just hoping for more especially i was hoping for more pennywise because in a way it's more about pennywise than it is like at least from my point of view you know it's more for about pennywise to me than it is about um the kids, uh the first one maybe was about the kids, but I feel like this one was about the kids, and I feel like Pennywise didn't even really kill that much. he killed those just those two kids that was it. I felt like he should have killed more, oh and the the person the the gay couple um in the beginning of the movie, yeah, so yeah, but that's what I'm saying if i was this is my final verdict, it's a sixty percent out of a hundred. It was enjoyable but not too enjoyable. I felt like it didn't need to be that long, especially given what we were like shown and everything. It just felt like a lot of the monsters and everything that he, that it changed or Pennywise changes into was on the level of like the Goosebumps movie that stars Jack Black. <laughs> I didn't really like it too much. I felt like they, they really tried to go for like this weird like zany or whatever. But yeah, having said that, I didn't really care for it that much. But again, this is subjective. All films, music. Anything in media is all subjective. Just because I didn't like it doesn't mean you're not going to like it, okay? They're all subjective. Nobody's truly right or wrong. We'd like to think we are, but no. doesn't mean that my answer is final. I mean, my my answer is absolute and that goes for everything. No. So it's all subjective. Just because I didn't enjoy it doesn't mean you will. So go inform your own opinion and go watch the movie and see how you like it myself. But it seems to me that like the general consensus is that not a lot of people enjoyed it. And, you know, who knows? So let's get into this week in crime. So moving on to the articles now. This first article that I have, a big thank you to, again, Rocky the Collector, for always sending me these articles and really helping out the show really helping making this segment even possible. Thank you again, (laughs) Rocky the Collector. Um, So this first article is of an Arizona hiker falls to her death while climbing Yosemite National Park's Half Dome. An Arizona woman plummeted to her death Thursday while ascending the iconic granite cliffs of Half Dome in California's Yosemite National Park, officials said. The victim was identified as Danielle Burnett, 29, of Lake Havasu City. Park Rangers said. In a statement, park officials said Burnett fell over 500 feet down steep, rocky terrain and was deceased when park rangers arrived on the scene. She was scaling the steepest part of the trail when she fell, a Yosemite spokesman said. Half Dome rises more than 8,800 feet above sea level. Park visitors hope to be drawn in a daily lottery as one of the 300 people who are permitted to try the 14 mile trek to the top. The Visilla Times Delta reported. Cables are installed each summer to assist hikers making the climb up the signature rock face attraction Yosemite was investigating the incident it's crazy though um, and that's the end of the article on that it's a short article sad but short um, hopefully her her family at least finds some solace in knowing that she probably um, perished doing what she loved um, hopefully because I mean wouldn't you want to die doing what you love you know? whatever it is. Hopefully it's not something sick or stupid, <laughs> but uh, hopefully she did die doing something that she did love. And if you follow me at Strange Talk Podcast, you would also see another woman who died doing what she loves um, in the series that I started on Instagram um, called Strange Talk TV, where I just bring you weird or interesting videos. I haven't really uploaded one recently. I have been debating whether I want to upload the video because I did find the video of the article that I spoke about in the first segment about the man who committed suicide live on TV, um, burned his dog, uh, and shot himself in the head with a shotgun. I have been debating whether I wanted to even talk about that, I I mean, um, show that video to you guys, because it is shocking, maybe to some, maybe not to all. But I'm, fuck it, I'm just gonna put it up there. So by the time you hear this episode, it'll probably be on my Instagram for Strange Talk TV. So, uh, warning, it is graphic, so if you dare, go and check out the video. Moving on to the next article. A man ordered a beer for $6.76, but the hotel charged him $67,689. An Australian journalist, Peter Lawler, is something of a beer aficionado. Aficionado, aficionado. He's written about brews for almost 25 years, but he balks at paying more than just $10 for a pint. I like nice beer and nice wine, but I don't pay silly prices, he said. That might have been true until he went for a beer at a hotel bar in Manchester, England. He expected to pay $6.76, but he was charged more than 10,000 times more than that. I feel like that's a typo. See this beer? This is the most expensive beer in history, he tweeted with a photo of the budget-busting beverage. The ordeal started Sunday night after he dropped off a friend at a train station and stopped at the Malm Malmason Hotel. He asked for something British. To his dismay, the bartender suggested a Heineken. So he settled for an IPN that an IPA that IPN, uh, IPA that ended up being Scottish. He wasn't wearing his glasses when the bartender passed him the check, he said, but he just had a feeling she got the price wrong. So he asked her what he had been charged, and she collapsed into giggles. Lawler wasn't laughing, however. She had increased the price 10,000-fold, he said. Management issued him an immediate refund and assured him the change that Massive m- might not even go through. But a few days later, his wife called, saying 67000 dollars have gone. I'm not a wealthy man, he said. I could buy my car 10 times over with that amount. <laughs> Malmussen Hotel told CNN it reached out to apologize and resolve the blunder. We always benchmark our prices, and oh, I'm sorry, I should be doing a British voice. We always benchmark up our bar prices and acknowledge this was a tad on the steep side. We hope we can invite Peter back for another drink soon. The next one is definitely on the house. <laughs> but yes, that is the end of that article. So that man was charged for a beer that should have been $6.76, but he was actually charged $67,000 on that beer. What would you do? if you were being charged that steep amount of money. Now, moving on to the next article. McDonald's just revealed... Oh, a new challenger approaches, everybody. A new challenger approaches. McDonald's just revealed a surprising new product that is a huge threat to Chick-fil-A and Popeyes. (laughs) In case you've been living in a cave on the side of a mountain for the past few months, we are in the middle of a major chicken sandwich war, people. The two heavy hitters in this war have been Chick-fil-A which has sold its iconic chicken sandwich since 1964 and have been homophobic since. Just kidding. And, well, they are. But And Popeyes, which introduced a remarkably popular and quickly sold out spicy chicken sandwich of its own last month. To be honest with you, I've heard, I've heard the stories and I've seen those posts about how Chick-fil-A is a homophobic company and whatnot, what have you. But to be honest, with you, I feel like there's a lot of gay people that work at Chick-fil-A. Unless maybe in the closet gay, but I feel like there's a lot of gay people that work at Chick-fil-A. Not to disparage the gay community, but I do honestly feel like there's, I know there's one working at the one that I usually go and get my really nice chicken, tasty chicken sandwiches from. And Popeye's, which introduced a remarkably popular and quickly sold out spicy chicken sandwich of its own last month. That is crazy though. That is a chicken sandwich and it's sold out. That's sad in a way. It's kind of sad. I know my ass went to go try to get this chicken sandwich because everybody was hyping it up and shit. That line was fucking long. And I was like, this is just a chicken sandwich. It's not an iPhone. I'm wondering if people are going to camp out for the next chicken sandwich and shit. Yesterday, however, fast food giant McDonald's decided it was time to introduce its own spicy chicken sandwich, hoping to steal some of the thunder from its arch rivals Chick-fil-A and Popeyes. On September 11th, McDonald's will start selling its new spicy barbecue chicken sandwich in restaurants nationwide. According to the company, the star of the show will be a buttermilk crispy chicken filet on a sesame seed bun with silvered onions, pickles, and a spicy barbecue glaze. Mm, mm. In addition to this new chicken sandwich, specifically designed to compete with Chick-fil-A and Popeye's, do you think they got like a team of scientists that produced, like, we have done it, Scott. We have created the ultimate chicken sandwich. <laughs> and then just thunder and lightning just... specifically designed to compete with chick-fil-a and popeyes mcdonald's is also introducing get it spicy barbecue glaze tenders essentially a turbocharged chicken nugget Mm. so how will mcdonald's i'm reading this right now and i'm actually kind of getting hungry i can feel my stomach gurgling (laughs) so how will mcdonald's new spicy chicken sandwich stand up to the sandwiches sold by its rivals that remains to be seen it certainly doesn't hurt that the new Popeye's chicken sandwich is currently not available. It's sold out just two weeks after it was introduced to the public. And now I can you imagine they're gonna have like like when Steve Jobs was like doing his little keynote shit, like his little like for CDC and shit when they were unveiling the new iPhone. <laughs> they're gonna get like a Steve. That one Cajun lady, try my chicken, pop She's gonna come, <laughs> she's gonna come in on the stage like, we have did it, everybody. We did it. We have created the new Spicy Chicken Popeyes 2.0, and it will be releasing to the public this fall. It's gonna come with an enhanced chicken flavory like savory sandwich taste. <laughs> and based all on the excitement around the Popeye sandwich, I feel like I'm the only one laughing at my jokes, but who cares? <laughs> and based on all the excitement around the Popeye sandwich, it appears that people are hungry for an alternative to the ubiquitous Chick-fil-A sandwich. I fully expect McDonald's to market its new spicy chicken sandwich very heavily. (laughs) Have you seen those memes, though, about this shit? It's funny, though, because this shit is in the news right now when the Jerry Epstein thing has happened. Nobody's really talking about it anymore. It's kind of like we just kind of like just dug it under the rug like, oh, he committed suicide. That's it. No, we should be like banging on the doors like, no, we need more information. I don't know. I hate to be, like, a conspiracy theorist, but I, I just don't believe that he committed suicide. There's there's too many big names in his black, little black book of fucking things that just... It can't just be buried. can't just be thrown under the rug. But there's, like, the meme of, like... I saw a meme of, like, the Popeyes and Hope, like, chicken filet thing. <laughs> like, one of them, they were comparing the sandwiches, like... One said, like, Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich is good, but it's like the good kind where it's like a white lady named Karen tried to, like, copy a black lady's recipe, whereas Popeye's chicken is actually made by a black person where you can taste the diabetes. (laughs) I don't know. I kind of agree on that. This isn't the first time that McDonald's has sold a spicy chicken sandwich, however. Way back in 2013, the company stopped selling its hot and spicy chicken sandwich. Apparently, it was ahead of its time. I, I'm not going to lie. I used to get that chicken sandwich a lot, especially when I was really fucking high. I would go, because this shit was cheap. It was like on the dollar menu. I would go and get like two of those shits and just fucking munch the shit out of them. Perhaps this time McDonald's has the timing right and they will unleash the spicy barbecue chicken sandwich upon the world and they will know and they will make us bow and obey its every command. <laughs> so moving on to the next article, an Indian woman gives birth to twins at the age of 73. Fuck. A 73-year-old woman in India has given birth to two, I'm sorry, to twin girls, not two girls, but to twin girls. Technically, it is two girls, but they're twins. Iramati Magayama, a farmer from the southern southern state of Andhra Pradesh, is believed to be the oldest person ever to give birth. I'm sorry if I mispronounced those, but I'm not good with pronouncing Indian names. She became pregnant through IVF and doctors delivered the babies via cesarean section Thursday. The surgery went well and the mother and the babies are all healthy with no complications. Dr. Sankayala Umashankar, the director of Alia IVF, who performed the C-section, said to reporters, Magna Yama and her husband, 80-year-old E. Raja Rao, uh, have been married since 1962, but have never been able to conceive naturally. They approached Shankar in 2018, and after a preliminary tests were promising the doctor agreed to give them one round of IVF treatment. Can you imagine, though, all those years of not knowing if she was going to be able to have children, and she finally had some at 73 years old? Jesus. I remember me and my fiancé, We, when we were trying to have a child, we the first child we had, unfortunately, we lost it. Um, she had what they called a polar pregnancy i believe or a molar pregnancy and they had to get what little like the baby didn't actually grow so it was inside of her uterus unable to grow and they had to perform a surgery on her to get what was growing like what little of was the baby that there, like like little parts that were kind of growing they had to get it out because then it would turn into cancer it was a very sad time for us and um i yeah it kind of fucked us up i know and i can't imagine like even being more problematic for my fiance rather than me because I'm not the one that actually held the baby in my stomach. She did. So I imagine it's more worse for her than it is for me. Although I did, you know, suffer from my depression of that. It was a very hard time, but thankfully we have our daughter, Emma now. And, uh, my little brat, I love her to death. I think it's like the first time I've ever experienced, like, honestly to like know what love really is like. Um, because just seeing her smile and, When she's just happy to see me come home, it's like the best fucking feeling in the world. It is the best fucking feeling in the world. Anyways, back to the article. Given Magna Yama's age, the doctors perform a C-section and will keep her under observation for the next 21 days. We are not allowing the mother to breastfeed and the babies will be fed through the milk bank. Umashankar said, sorry, I know I'm sounding really stupid when I say his name. I'm just trying to pronounce it right and not fuck it up too much. Rao, who's 80 years old, has already begun making plans for his daughter at said Umashankar, and for Magayama, it is a new lease of life at the age of 73, he said. "She's very confident now, more confident than ever in her life, and she is looking forward to the next chapter of her life with the kids, Umashankar added. Good for her. Good, good, good for her. She's having she's having her kids now. She finally gets to have her kids and enjoy what. But you know what's scary? Now that I think about it, I hate to be so cynical. Well, not cynical. Is it cynical? I just hate to be such a pessimist about it. I guess would be a, a better term. She's seventy three years old. She did. You know that's 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 really up there. That's my father passed away when he was seventy five, I believe. Was he seventy five, seventy seven, seventy eight? I think he's seventy eight. Was seventy five? I don't know. Oh my god, that's so sad. I'm a horrible son. <laughs> But yeah, that's pretty up there, you know. Like, I how I hope they make plans for if anything happens to either of them. Or oh my god, I'm thinking about it. That's so sad. Like they're gonna be so young if they pass away. Oh fuck. Anyways, let's move on to the next article. Let's stop thinking about it. Let's not dwell on it any further because that's just gonna be a very sad can of worms open. So. This next article is of a Lee's Summit woman arrested after cutting off Tinder date's testicles and using them for fishing bait. My fucking God. A 37-year-old Lee's Summit, Missouri woman is in police custody after she inflicted a brutal assault on a 43-year-old local man who she had met through the Tinder dating app. According to reports by local media, the woman had matched with the victim earlier in the week after complimenting him on a picture of him during a fishing trip holding a large bass. The woman allegedly told him she was a keen angler and wanted to join him for a fishing trip. The man agreed, and the pair went out on a fishing trip yesterday afternoon at Blue Springs Lake. However, the woman allegedly knocked the man unconscious with a fire extinguisher before taking a bait knife to his groin. (laughs) It is alleged that the woman severed the man's testicles before attaching them to her hooks and casting them off into the lake, said one investigator. The testicles proved popular bait with the woman soon catching several large fish. Upon arrival back at the Marinero, not (laughs) Marinero, the Marinero saw the marina. (laughs) Upon arrival back fuck I'm a fat ass, I'm thinking of food. Upon arrival back at the marina, another fishing vessel saw the man lying unconscious at the bottom of the boat and raised the alarm. The woman was apprehended a short time later. There's been no indication of what motivated this woman's heinous crime, but a family member says she has a history of substance abuse and said lately she's been on the bath salts, which may have had an influence on this episode. I probably should say more like this. Lately she's been on the bath salts. Missouri, do they have an accent like that? Missouri? I don't know. Lately she's been on the bath salts, which may have had an influence on this episode. Oh my God, can you imagine? He just said that nonchalantly. Oh, lately she's been on the bath salts. <laughs> all right so let's move on to the next article an alabama teen charged with murdering five family members including a six month old stepbrother very sad investigators identified the victims killed monday in a shooting that unfolded inside an Elkmont, alabama home and was allegedly perpetrated by a 14 year old boy the alleged shooter's father John Sisk 38 and his stepmother Mary Sisk 35 were both killed in Monday's violence authorities announced late Tuesday. The other three victims were not blamed by the police were not named by police I'm sorry not blamed but not named by police but identified as the shooter's step-siblings a 6-year-old boy a 5-year-old girl and a 6-month-old baby I mean boy well he's kind of a baby in a way the teen has been charged as a juvenile with five counts of murder. Because of his age, police have not disclosed his name. Limestone County Sheriff's Office spokesman Stephen Young, Stephen Young told reporters Tuesday the boy could end up being tried as an adult, a decision that will be made at some future point. Police still haven't established a motive for the killings. The handgun used in the murders has been recovered as the shooter ditched it along a nearby roadway. Young confirmed the gun was inside the home illegally. Police say the teen suspect has confessed to the killings. A Limestone County School District spokeswoman confirmed the teen suspected attended Elkmont High School, releasing a statement. The statement, which discloses, Limestone County Schools is deeply saddened by this tragic event. The spokeswoman, Karen Tucker, said in an email, we are concentrating our efforts in assisting our students, faculty, and community in dealing with this tragedy. Additional school counselors and Limestone County Health Department counselors are on site. These individuals will be available for as long as there is a need. Wow, that's sad. So um, be sure to know that as soon as I find out why this fucking dude decided to kill his family, you know, I I guarantee you it's probably something stupid, like maybe his stepmom took away his Xbox or something or took away his fucking jewel because that's what these kids are into now, smoking their jewels and fucking TikToks and whatnot. I sound like those old old senile men like, you kids and your TikToks today. I don't know. But (laughs) moving on to the last article that we have for this episode of This Week in Crime, a woman claims to be her own daughter to try to evade arrest. And it didn't work, uh, apparently. (laughs) So um, if you follow me at Strange Talk Podcast, you would have seen the picture of this woman and damn them eyebrows and the eyeshadow. Somebody should really Honestly, to be honest with you, I didn't know she was a woman. I thought it was a person in drag. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was a person in drag. Um, So a Utah woman may have ruined her chances at being named Mother of the Year after she allegedly pretended to be her daughter in an attempt to avoid being arrested. Police in Davis County pulled over Heather Garcia, 38, on Saturday night after noticing her car did not have a license plate. An officer searched the vehicle and found drug paraphernalia and a white powdery substance. The substance later tested positive for meth. What the officer allegedly didn't get was a straight answer from Garcia about her identity. At first, according to reports, she told police she did not have her ID. Then she said her name was Mercedes and that she was born in 1998. I went back to my patrol vehicle and performed a record search on the name given, the arresting officer wrote in a police report obtained by the Garfield Daily, which is a local news reporter, I guess, or station. He said the photo that came back appeared to be a different individual. Once a positive ID was made, investigators discovered Garcia had outstanding warrants and took her into custody. She was also charged with providing false personal information with the attempt to be another actual person, possession of a controlled substance, driving on a suspended or revoked license, and operating a vehicle without insurance. Garcia remains behind bars in the Davis County Jail on 9077 dollars bond wow well unfortunately that's the last article that i have for this episode of this week in crime i hope you guys enjoyed it i hope you guys found some of them interesting they may not have been weird but some of them were interesting nonetheless i hope uh, so thank you for joining me on this episode. Thank you to Rocky the Collector for sending me all of these news articles that I featured in this segment of This Week in Crime. If you have any news articles or you stumble upon anything that you find interesting, whether it doesn't have to be weird, it doesn't have to be strange, it doesn't have to be fucked up, if it's just something that you feel that I should spread awareness or that you want to spread awareness to and have more people hear about it, send me the damn thing. You can do so via my Instagram at Podcast. You can send it through a DM. Or if you want to be if you want to keep it old school and send it to me via email at podcast at Outlook.com. What's that email again? It's podcast at outlook.com. You could send it there and I'll be more than happy to share and spread awareness for whatever it is exactly that you're as long as it's something that's like if you're sending me an article about like how the Jews are like <laughs> fucking evil, then no, that's that's not what I'm that's not what I'm about. <laughs> Don't send me shit like that. Just send me just send me news articles that you find interesting or strange, if you want. Okay. <laughs> so thank you again to listening to this episode of Strange Talk Podcast. Um, without you, the listener, Strange Talk Podcast would not be what it is today. So stay tuned for next week's episode. Next Wednesday, um, I'm going to be joined again with Rocky the Collector. We're going to be bringing you an episode all about. Duo serial killers. You heard that right. Duo serial killers. It's about serial killers who've met or were always just friends and decided to just kill together. Um, I'm going to be talking about a particular case of uh, two women who are lesbians and decided to kill for sexual gratification. But their victims that they chose to kill are one that might shock you. I know I'm clickbaity as fuck right now, but who cares? Stay tuned for that episode to hear about it. And you'll be hearing from Rocky the Collector, the duo serial killers that he's going to be talking about is something that you won't want to miss. So you'll hear that and more next Wednesday on the duo serial killer episode. Um, so thank you again for listening to this episode of Strange Talk Podcast. If you want to help support the podcast, you can do so by way of donating. You know, donating your hard-earned money to me. <laughs> <laughs> or if you if there's another way and you don't want to spend the quiche the quiche then um you can support the show by just you know introducing your friends or family or like-minded people who enjoy true crime serial killers the like just go ahead and sh- send them my way and tell them hey check out this podcast that's you know strange shop podcast you, know, you can find them on itunes google Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcast from i'm on there and another way uh, the biggest way of all is supporting the show is by just reviewing it. If you haven't yet and you actually enjoy what you hear and you come back every time I release a new episode, it would mean a lot to me as you, the listener. If you can't help me out with money, dinero, the cash money, then just leave a review. You know, rate me five stars or whatever you feel I deserve. I don't care. Honest, just uh, honest review. That really helps out Strange Talk Podcast the most. It's because it will not only, you know, make me feel better, seeing the reviews, but it would also help me get more notice within the Apple, op- the, op- the Apple Podcast community, I guess, if you will. It would just help me get, you know, up there in iTunes. So, thank you again for tuning into this episode of This Week in Crime. Um, as always, stay a strange. Peace.